have your Bibles, please open them to the book of John. We're looking at chapter 15, verses 1 through 17, as we continue on in Jesus' farewell discourse. The words are also printed for you on pages, looks like 7, 5, and 6 of the bulletin. John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. You may be seated. And as you do, let us together go to the Lord and ask for his help as we come to his word. Father God, would you abide in us? Abide in us by your spirit. Confirm to us our union with Jesus Christ, the source of all nourishment, the source of all life, that we may indeed bear fruit. May your spirit do his work to help us abide by applying your words to the hearts and minds of your people here this morning. Give me clarity, give me boldness, give me faithful words by that same spirit we pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you were to summarize or capture the main idea of John chapter 15... How would you do it? Maybe abiding in Jesus. It's a word repeated often. Maybe intimacy with Jesus. Simply the vine and the branches. All of these are helpful. They're true short phrase summaries of this well-known passage of scripture in John chapter 15. But as the title of my sermon this morning gives away, I want to suggest and argue for the short phrase union with Christ. Jesus' picture of the vine and the branches teaches the vital truth of the believer's union with Jesus Christ. And just how vital is this truth? In his reformed classic book, Redemption, Accomplish, and Applied, the 20th century theologian and pastor John Murray wrote the following. Union with Christ is the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation. There is no truth, therefore, more suited to impart confidence and strength, comfort and joy in the Lord than this one 
of union with Christ. And others throughout the years have echoed what Murray said. One called it the heartbeat of the Christian life. A matter of spiritual life and death. The entirety of our relationship with God summed up. Now maybe for some of you this idea of union with Christ is new to you. Or you're thinking, isn't that the way Paul usually describes our relationship with Jesus Christ in places like Romans 6, 2 Corinthians 5, or Ephesians 1 and 2? And while that is indeed the case, the Lord himself gives the testimony right here in his farewell discourse of what union, of the relationship between disciples and him, it's union. Yes, Jesus, as he's getting ready to depart, knows that his troubled disciples would find great comfort in knowing him. They would find great comfort in the promise of his spirit coming. We've looked at those two things the past few weeks. But greater still would be this wonderful truth of the disciples, including you and I, and our union with Jesus Christ. Depicted here of the vine and the branches. Our union with Christ, the vine, is the source of our fruitfulness and joy as his disciples. And no, this is not going to be an exhaustive exploration of all that it means to be united with Christ. Not too long ago, J.C. led a Sunday school class on this very topic, and he covered it well, but I'm, I bet if you asked him, he would tell you he left some stones unturned. It's a very thorough topic to discuss. My aim is simply to help us understand what union in Christ looks like by using the depiction that Jesus gives of a vine and branches. And then for this understanding to give us comfort, to give us strength, to give us joy, to ultimately help us to live as faithful and fruitful disciples abiding in our wonderful Savior. And so in that light, we'll work through John 15, two points. They're there for the bulletin. First, we'll look at the metaphor and then its meaning. And first up, we'll look at the metaphor in verses 1 through 6. The vine and the branches, it is the picture Jesus gives. It's simple enough, even for the disciples whose simplicity was not always their greatest strong point. They would understand it, even though they're fishermen, uneducated. They know how vines and branches work. But Jesus is using a vine and a branch for more, far more than just a helpful picture. Again, he's giving them, a revealing that to them this critical truth that they will need to grasp in the days, weeks, years ahead. And it is a truth that the Spirit himself, as we saw last week, will come and help them understand more and more. And Jesus starts with himself. He says in the very first verse, I am the true vine. Which makes us ask the question, why does he say, I am the true vine? Why does he throw that adjective in there? And the truth is, is because he is the true vine, because the image of the vine was used throughout Old Testament history. The vine was an illustration for God's people and the relationship to him. The nation as a whole was the vineyard. The people, the vines, created for fruitfulness and joy. Connection then to Israel was critical and to be, included, to be included in God's vineyard. But sadly, if you know anything about Old Testament history, 
Israel was a wayward, rebellious, and wild bunch. Isaiah 5 says that it only yielded wild grapes. Hosea 10 says the more fruit that it bore actually led to more and more idolatry. And in the prophet Ezekiel, in his words, he actually goes as far as to say Israel is a useless vine. Its only use is actually matchsticks, ready to be burned. So Jesus, starting off by saying, I am the true vine, is distinguishing himself from Israel. It's placing him at the center of the fulfillment of the psalm that Josh read for us earlier in Psalm 80. That psalm is a desperate plea for the Lord to restore Israel once again as a fruitful, vibrant, life-giving vine. And Jesus coming and saying, I am the true vine, is confirming that Israel would be restored in him. Jesus is saying, I am the faithful and the fruitful vine. I am what Israel was supposed to be, what Israel was ultimately pointing forward to. I am the answer to the psalmist's desperate plea. Restore us, make your face shine upon us. God's people would be fruitful again through Jesus Christ. God's people would be cleansed. Cleansed from their idolatry, the rebellion, through Jesus Christ. God's people could be restored, could see the shining face of God through Jesus Christ. So by placing himself at the center as the true vine, Jesus is saying, one must be connected to, united to me. Close proximity to Christ is not going to cut it. Connection to others, parents, siblings, friends, whoever, who are united to Christ, will not do. There must be union between you and the true vine itself. There must be abiding, which is that picture of fellowship, of belonging, and of believing. And then Jesus adds to the picture. It's not only that he's the true vine. He adds the father. The second half of verse 1, my father is the vine dresser. For those of you who know about vines, the vine dresser's job is to make sure the vines, the branches, are bearing fruit. This certainly includes things like measuring water, measuring sunshine, checking the conditions of the soil. But one of the chief ways that a vine dresser ensures fruitfulness is through pruning. Through cutting away whatever it is that hinders fruitfulness. Jesus says that his father is the vine dresser in verse 2. What does he do? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, cuts it off. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. The father won't be duped. The father can't be tricked. He distinguishes the real branches from the fake branches, the fruitful ones from the fruitless ones. The fruitless will ultimately be lopped off and discarded. Their lack of fruit proves... Their lack of union to Christ in the first place. Their lack of abiding in him. It says they were never really connected to him in the first place by faith. The fruitful, however, will remain. They will continue to bear fruit, but only as they continually undergo the faithful and true 
but also sometimes painful cuts of the vine dresser's shears. Last spring, Bethany got two rose bushes to put in the front of our house. And during the growing season, I would also often find her outside with her gloves and her garden shears in hand. And with her tool, she would be ready to help the rose bush bear fruit. She would examine and cut, examine and cut, examine and cut. Some cuts were small, some were larger. And by the end of it, she has a pretty sizable pile that I have to go through and pick up and throw in our bag for the garbage collection later on that week. But these branches are different. Some of them are thick, some of them are short, some of them are skinny. But each and every cut is intentional. It's aimed to help the roses blossom and bloom to bear fruit. This is a picture of the Father's work as the vine dresser on the branches. He's always pruning. He's always cutting back those places that are hindering our fruitfulness. Hebrews 10 calls this pruning discipline. He's doing it to make way for fruit in our lives. I'm not going to beat around the bush. His pruning can hurt at times. Because unlike plants, we feel the cuts. Some of them are deeper than others. Some of them may lead us to plead with him to stop. That's enough cuts. Some of them may lead us wondering why he made that particular cut that he did. But we should rest assured that the pruning shears in our father's hands are not weapons but tools. His cuts are not random or meaningless. They are for the good of his people that they might bear more fruit. The father will never make a cut as my wife does, and I did run this by her beforehand after she makes a cut, and sometimes she'll go, oops. There's no whoops with the father's cuts. On this point of the father as a faithful vine dresser, the Indian missionary Amy Carmichael, who faced a lot of suffering in her ministry, she wrote this. There is not a random stroke in it at all. Nothing cut away which would not have been a loss to keep or a gain to lose. Being united to Christ the vine means the Father's pruning shears are at work. And such work is a blessing aimed at our fruitfulness. And then lastly, in this metaphor, we get to the disciples. Jesus has talked about himself, the Father, and now he gets to you, the disciples. You are the branches. Jesus spells out this clearly in verses 4 and 5, what it means that they're the branches. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me, for apart from me you can do nothing. This is good news. As branches, we're not left to ourselves to grow our own fruits. As branches, we've been cleaned by the word, the powerful word of Christ himself. We've been united to the vine. We've been given the spirit, as we looked at last week, as the means by which and the guarantee that we are united to Christ. The spirit is in us to help us bear fruit. So yes, while they are called to abide or remain in Christ, we can rest assured that all the while he is abiding or remaining in us. 
but it's also humbling news. We are fruitless and useless apart from the vine. The vine is not a gas station where the branches come, fill up, and then go about our very way. It's not a phone charger where you plug it in and wait till that battery says 100%, then unplug it and go back to life. The branches need to constantly rely on and feed on the vine for everything. Or as John Owen writes, unless they have continual, uninterrupted influence of grace and spirituality, spiritually vital nourishment from him, they can do nothing. This is hard for us because we live in a culture that tells us we can do everything. And while we may not think we have, we've brought that idea of being able to do everything into our faith. We think we can go it alone without the vine. We avoid the word. We rarely pray. We trust more in our gifts, our abilities, our talents than we do in the God who has given them to us for his purposes. And then when we go and do that, we wonder why we feel dry, we feel disconnected, why we feel fruitless. We need to stop fooling ourselves. Trust in Jesus' words. Live in light of Jesus' words by abiding in the true vine. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you actually believe that apart from Jesus, you can do nothing? Self-reliance is not a fruit of the Spirit. It is a symptom of sickness or worse. It needs to be pruned. Abide in the vine and trust yourself to the vine dresser's good work. Live as a branch, humbly relying on the vine to give you all that you need to bear fruit. Which then leads us from the metaphor to the meaning. You see this in verses 7 through 17. And maybe at this point you're wondering, like the disciples, what exactly does abiding or remaining look like? How does my union with Christ play out in daily life? Thankfully, Jesus provides the meaning for us. Many of these ideas in verses 7 through 17 are repeated or they're built on each other. just want to look at four of them briefly. First, to abide in Christ is to have his word abiding in us. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Every branch needs nourishment. A branch without nourishment is a sick branch, a dying branch, or a dead branch. For the disciple, the word of God is their nourishment. It is their vital source of life. Contrary to some popular opinions, there can be no abiding in Jesus void of his word abiding in us. We confessed this earlier through song when we sang Psalm 1. Yea, blessed is he who makes God's law his portion and delight, and meditates upon that law with gladness day and night. That man is nourished like a tree set by the riverside. Its leaf is green, its fruit is sure, and thus his works abide. Notice how these words about our nourishment 
they are feasting words. Portion, delight, gladness, nourishment. The word of God is a full course meal, not a snack. Let it abide in you and work in you by the power of his Holy Spirit. If your nourishment isn't the word, you will be malnourished. If your portion is not the Bible, you will be fruitless. So shut down your phone. Stop listening to all your podcasts. Sign off your respective social media of choice. Turn off the movies, the shows, the sports games, the video games, and whatever else you are running to for nourishment. They leave you starving. They may be informative and helpful. I'm not saying get rid of them altogether. But they will not bring you life. They will not keep you abiding in the vine, and too often we hope and wish that they would. The truth is, we do a lot of things to nourish our hobbies. We read, we study, we intake, we drill, we practice, and much more. What if we did the same to nourish our soul? To nourish our union with Christ by studying, reading, intaking his word. So set the word of God as your portion, as your delight. Seek nourishment in it for your soul. Read it, meditate on it daily. If you haven't started a Bible reading plan, start one today. Doesn't matter if you started in January or February. Sit here weekly under the teaching and preaching of the word of God. Let it dwell richly in you, as Paul tells the believers in Colossae. Union in Christ means abiding by his word, which keeps us then abiding in him. Next up after abiding in the word is abiding in love. What exactly does abiding in love mean? Jesus gives us some clarity in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Simply put, we abide in the love of God as we understand that love of God that has been poured out on us in Christ. Jesus says, my love for you, my disciples, is like the Father's love for me. This sounds almost too good to be true or too easy. Do we simply need to consider how deep the love of Christ is for us? Yes. Because it truly is an unfathomable, or is the one hymn we sing, a deep, deep love. You can only plumb the surface of it. We will spend eternity diving deeper into it. Why else would Paul pray for the church in, in Ephesus in chapter 3? That they would grow to comprehend what is the breadth, the length, the height, depth, and to know the love of Christ. Because that love is a sustaining love. It is a love that can withstand all physical trials. It can stand all spiritual powers, earthly powers. It can withstand even death itself as we find in Romans chapter 8. And it will sustain you and me today as we labor on as disciples seeking to be faithful and fruitful. 
And such love, as we understand it, calls us friends. Or literally, loved ones. He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. But I have called you friends. Only two people in the Bible were called friends of God. Moses in Exodus 33 and Abraham in Isaiah chapter 41. Jesus says, you are my friends. You, these disciples, who in a matter of a few hours are going to abandon him. He calls them friends. Greater still, as his friend, he's going to lay down his life for them. He's going to demonstrate the extent of his love, the depths of his love for these, his friends. He's going to prove that he himself is the faithful friend who will stick to, with them to the very end. He's going to love these friends even through their failures. How could this not encourage them to abide all the more in his love? How could it not encourage us all the more to abide in his love? Jesus is a friend like no other, and he has made you his friend by uniting him to himself, by uniting you to himself. When we, we abide in the love of Christ, when we remember that we are his friends... Not because of anything about us, but because of his great love for us, poured out on us, demonstrated for us by his death on the cross, for us. And closely connected to the two ideas of abiding in a word and abiding in love is abiding in obedience. Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. And that, that's the key in this whole thing is Jesus is using his relationship with the Father as the paradigm for our relationship with him. He loved the Father. He obeyed the Father. We love him. We obey him. He kept the Father's words. We keep his words. This idea of obedience repeats what Jesus has already said in chapter 14 in both 15, verse 15 and 23. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. These are probably the most familiar of all the words in this farewell discourse. And yet they might also be the most, yeah, but, or talked around, or just blatantly ignored verses as well. Jesus shoots it straight. Love means obedience. The word abiding means our compliance to it. Grasping the depths of Christ's love will and can only lead to a greater desire and pursuit of conformity to him. Again, sadly, we live in a church culture in particular where love for Christ is defined in all kinds of unhelpful and even unbiblical ways. Love for Christ is boiled down to feelings or experiences. Whatever makes you feel connected is love for Christ. It's almost entirely subjective. It's hard to define, let alone put into practice. And for sure, don't judge someone externally according to it. But from Jesus' own lips, we read that love for him is concrete. Its expression and its certainty is seen in our obedience. 
Where there is no obedience, there is no love. Where there is no obedience, there is no fruit. The fruit of love for one another that Jesus commands them to have in verse 12 will come as they obey this command, as they conform themselves to Jesus' words. And the same goes for all the other fruit promised to be wrought in us by the power of the Spirit. We see the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self, and self-control, as we do what? Walk by the Spirit. Walk in obedience. Abide in Christ. The call then is for us to pursue obedience. Whether you are old or young, new to the faith, or a seasoned veteran in the faith, we abide in Christ by abiding in obedience. Obey Him even when it's hard. Obey Him when it's costly. Obey Him even when you don't feel like it. Or, wor- or not worse, but or obey Him when it feels like death. Because it is through such obedience that we bear fruit to the glory of God and demonstrate our belonging to Christ as His disciples. It shows that we're united to the vine. And if you're struggling to obey, ask the Father for help. He promises to give you what you need. He just made that promise again after he made it in chapter 14. He'll give it to you because of his love for you through his son. And then lastly, we see after abiding in the word, abiding in love, abiding in obedience is abiding with joy. Jesus says in verse 11, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Contrary to public opinion, abiding through the word, through love and obedience, does lead to joy. Abiding in Christ is not a miserable life. It is not a threat to life, but actually the very source of true life. Jesus' teaching about union with him, the vine, and seeking to abide in him is designed to produce joy. That's its goal. It isn't simply to fill our heads with knowledge, to make us feel good. It's to work his joy in and through us that it may then flow out of us. Jesus has already promised his disciples his love in John 14, 21. He promised his peace in John 14, 27, and now he promises his joy. The disciples would need all three, love, peace, and joy. And here Jesus gives them the means of securing that joy by abiding in him. It is a joy that can endure all the pruning, as painful as it may be. A joy that can endure suffering and trial and hardship. A joy that can press on in obedience, even when such obedience seems impossible. It is a joy that Christ himself had, according to Hebrews 12, 2, that led him to endure the cross. 
It's a joy that holds full confidence in the purpose and work of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to produce fruit in his disciples. Jesus is not looking to make us a bunch of miserable disciples. And yet, how often is that what we project to one another and also to a world that is itself dark and miserable? We've been united to Jesus Christ. That should give us joy today, tomorrow, and until he brings us home or comes again. He alone is our pathway to true and lasting joy. Do you believe it? Are you pursuing it? He tells you you can find it by abiding in him. Remaining in him. So as we close, I simply want to ask the question, are you abiding in Jesus Christ today? Are you living out the reality of your union with him? Maybe you're here and you're not united to Christ at all. And this might not even be your first time here. If that is you, I would urge you to ask God, by the powerful work of his spirit, to give you faith and to unite you to Jesus Christ. Stop believing that a loose connection to the Jesus or to his people will suffice. Stop trusting in yourself, your strength, your abilities. Trust in him. For in him you will find life, you will find joy and peace today and for all eternity. But for those of us who are united to Christ, for those who are the branches, are you abiding in Jesus Christ today? Are you bearing fruit? Do you see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control flowing out of you? Do you see it in your personal life when no one else is around? Do you see it in your marriage? Do you see it in your family? Students, do you see it at school? Is it flowing out of you at work? The truth is, if you are united to Jesus Christ, he's made the promise that it will flow out of you as you abide in him. And he promises to do this as he abides in you. So pursue fellowship with him. Pursue intimacy with him. Trust in his spirit that he has given you. We looked at last week to confirm his union, to empower fruit-bearing in you. Follow his example. And as you do so, rest confidently that abiding in him is not a burden, but it's a delight. It's not a famine, but a feast. It's a way for us to know and experience the joy that he has promised, a full and complete joy. Our union with Christ the vine is the source of our fruitfulness and joy as his disciples. Let us pray. Father God, would you do that work in us? Help us to abide in you as you even abide in us. Thank you that we have that promise, that by your spirit you have united us through faith 
to yourself. You have given us all that we need. May we be faithful. Help us to abide in your word, abide in your love, abide in obedience, and to abide with joy. May people see us as obedient, faithful, fruitful, and joyful disciples to the glory of your name. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.